Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. All right. Well, good morning, Redemption Hill. I'm Bob. I also am one of the elders of our community. Um, I know you're all really here to see those guys, so I'll try to make this pretty short. As I said, I don't know how to follow that. But uh, as Pastor Robert kind of uh, mentioned earlier, Advent is this time directly preceding Christmas, a period of time when we wait expectantly and when we prepare ourselves, in a sense, for the arrival of Jesus. So often we allow ourselves, because of the busyness or, the, or difficult times, to become indifferent and we can go for days without any sense of God, without prayer, without concern to hear God speak to us through his word. But Advent is when we begin again intentionally to invite God to break into our lives. Advent is a time of stillness, of, of silence before God, of waiting, straining to hear his voice. It's a time to become open and receptive. At Advent, we look forward to and, and so remember the birth of Jesus, our Savior, the coming of the Messiah, the one who saves us from our sin. Advent asks us to deal with the basics of our relationship to God through Christ. Do I trust Jesus? Have I truly put my hope in Him? Do I live in hope or in fear? Do I really see the future in light of Jesus and what He has come to do in this world? Is there a longing in me to be more like Him, for Him to take up residence in my life, in my home, in my work? These are the questions that we ask during Advent. We're in the middle of this season of Advent. We've been walking through the Christmas narrative over the past few weeks. We've talked about the prophets who told the people that the Messiah was coming. We've talked about the angels who announced his birth, the shepherds who heard that announcement. And today we talk about the wise men, the magi who came later to worship and to bring him gifts. For many people, though, the holidays, uh, Christmas, is a struggle. Where's the, the tension for people, do you think? What, what do you tend to struggle with around Christmas? If it's any consolation at all, Advent has always been, in some senses, a struggle. If you have a Bible, grab it and open up to the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, 
Verses 1 and 2 say Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So I'm sure you've probably heard this story once or twice, right? Yeah. Here's some background. Bethlehem is a small town about five miles outside of Jerusalem, and the setting that Matthew gives us is important. Matthew 1 shows Jesus' right to be the king of Israel through his lineage. All these, uh, so on was the father of so on and such forth. Basically, it traces it all back and says he is directly in the line of kingship from David. But Matthew 2, chapter 2, shows his kingship, kingship by showing the antagonism that the usurper, the false king, Herod, had for him. Herod was... He was not one of the Jewish people. He was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, not a descendant of Jacob. He'd been placed on the throne of Israel by Roman conquerors. And he, had, he tried to appease the Jewish people by throwing massive amounts of money into a building project around the temple. If you've ever seen the pictures of the Wailing Wall, that's something that Herod constructed that still stands. But most of Israel hated him, and he had a very loose grip on power. The first thing he did when he came to power was slaughter everyone left from the family of the former dynasty. He didn't want anyone contesting his rule. During his reign, at one point, he actually killed about half the Sanhedrin, the religious body that kind of oversaw the life of Israel. At another point, he had 300 court officials killed at the same time. This guy was so bad, he was so paranoid about losing power that he had his wife, his mother-in-law, and three of his sons executed. He was a bloodthirsty, power-hungry nut. So when the wise men arrive and ask about someone born king of the Jews, that's a problem. Look at verses 3 through 7. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And I think the reason why everyone in Jerusalem was deeply disturbed is because they knew Herod was deeply disturbed, and they knew what he did when he got deeply disturbed. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. The wise men, magi in the Greek, the same word that we get magician from, they were this priestly political class of Parthians who lived in the East. They were astrologers and astronomers, men who practiced magic and collected wisdom and exerted great influence in the Medo-Persian and Babylonian empires. And it's not in scripture, you won't find it in here, but traditionally there were three of these guys, right? Does anyone know their names? This, this will not be on the final, don't worry, but 
Yeah, Baltazar, Caspar, and Melchior. And now you have the answer to a great Christmas trivia question. They didn't arrive on the evening of Jesus' birth, no matter what the nativity scenes tend to show you. They weren't there. They most likely arrived later, which is why traditionally their arrival is celebrated on January 6th with Epiphany. So how did they know? How did they know about and, and know to look for and anticipate Jesus, the Jewish Messiah? Most likely, from a Jewish exile to Babylon, a prophet named Daniel, who had been one of them hundreds of years earlier. He had told them about this Messiah that would come, and they watched and they waited for hundreds of years until they saw a sign in the sky that told them the time was now. Here was the Messiah. So they traveled all the way to Jerusalem, and they start right at the top. They start with the king, Herod, asking, where is the one born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. I love that these magi, these astrologer magicians, didn't come as tourists. They didn't come as curious onlookers or even investigating scholars. They may have had many questions. But that's not primarily why they were there. They may even have had some political curiosity as, as Parthians, since it was the Parthians that ruled Palestine until the Romans kicked them out and installed Herod as king. But none of that was primary. They were first and foremost there as worshippers. And this is one of the most interesting things about the Advent story. Whether we're talking about Jewish shepherds or pagan magicians or angels from heaven, what they do when they encounter this newborn Messiah is this. They worship. Look at verse 8. Then he told them, he, Herod, told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Yeah. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, a gift for royalty. Frankincense, a gift for deity. Myrrh, a traditional burial spice. I think that these wise men knew more about Jesus and his mission than maybe we think they did. And so they worship him. Herod says, I'd like to worship him too, but that's not really what he wants. Look at verse 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream 
not to return to Herod. The rest of the chapter records that Herod is so threatened by the, this child king and the worship being given to him that in an effort to kill him, he orders that all the children, all the babies, two years and under, living around Bethlehem, be killed. In a small town that size, it's, it's probably between 15 and 30 children in all, but Jesus isn't there. Joseph has heard from God too, and, and they've escaped. Last week, Pastor Jesse walked us through the narrative of the shepherds, the ones who heard the angelic announcement of Jesus' birth as they were out in the fields tending their flocks by night. The shepherds were poor and they were illiterate. They were on the margins of society. And it's instructive to us that God would choose them to hear the announcement of the birth of Jesus. But the story of these wise men, rich, learned, well-traveled, sits as kind of a counterpoint. And I'm glad it does. Because as much as I understand God's heart for the poor, for the marginalized, as much as I would like to identify with the shepherds, I know I really can't. I have too much money, too much education, too much privilege to identify with anyone in this story other than the three rich guys who show up kind of late. As I said earlier, this, we call this season Advent, which means coming or arrival, because it's when we remember the arrival of Jesus, the, the coming of the Messiah. God came to the prophets. He showed up to Mary and Joseph. His arrival was announced to the shepherds. And that says that for those who need him, for those who are waiting and watching, for those not on the top but on the bottom, God shows up. But there's another coming, another arrival in this story. These wise men, their arrival took longer. They had to come from farther away, carrying a much heavier load. But God still included them, led them, invited them. Yes, the, the message of Advent is that God comes to us in the person of Jesus. But for most of us who sit here this morning, who drove here in cars we own, from comfortable houses, who never really worry where our next meal is coming from, the message of Christmas isn't just about Christ coming to you. It's about you coming to him. The wise men recognized that even with their wealth and their education, their political power, there was still something greater than themselves. See, that's true wisdom. And more, that that, that something greater than themselves deserved, not just their gifts, not just that out of gratitude they would give back a portion of what they had been given, but that they take the final step and give the ultimate gift that they would give themselves in worship. 
If you're here this morning and you have a deep sense of your need for God, Advent tells you that God is right here. That he has come in the person of Jesus to rescue and redeem, to restore and to renew. And if you're here this morning, not necessarily in a place of need, but maybe in a place of wondering, beyond all that I've accomplished and all that I've accumulated, beyond all that I have and all that I am, is there something greater? Advent tells us that yes, there is. And his name is Jesus. And he's calling you too. He's offering the one thing that all the wealth, all the power, all the privilege in the world still can't get you. And that's a connection to the God who loves you. Christmas asks us the big question. It asks us, God has come to you in Jesus. Will you come to him? Will you move beyond singing, Christ the Savior is born, to naming him as your Savior? Would you guys pray with me? God, in this season, of Advent, so often full of stress, full of distraction. God, we ask for one thing this Christmas, that we may lay aside our expectations and instead pick up expectancy. We don't know how you will speak to us. We don't know how we will see you. But we know that whether we come to you out of need or whether we come to you just wondering if there's something beyond all that we have, God, we know that you are there waiting inviting, loving us. And we see that nowhere else more clearly than in the person of Jesus who came to show us who you are. Lord God, this season, may we see him. May we hear his invitation. And may we too come and worship. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand? And I will bless and send us. Redemption Hill, this week, amidst all the hustle and bustle of this Advent season, may you find those quiet moments to sit 
and to listen. And may you hear the invitation of the God who loves you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.